Shearing and wool harvesting continues to be one of the biggest issues facing the wool industry, despite an enormous and ongoing investment across training whilst looking for new technology, such as the race delivery system and muscle fatigue work. But today, let's look back with a legend and a pioneer of the industry, a woman who helped blaze a trail for others. Today, we meet Shearing Hall of Famer, Cathy Wendelborn. Welcome to The Yarn. It's a podcast for the wool industry. I'm Marius Cumming. And we have details of shearing and wool handling schools coming up later, but I ran into Cathy in Quilpie in Western Queensland at her off-shears bakery and asked the natural question. How did the world's most famous female shearer come to own a bakery in Western Queensland? Oh, good question, hey? It's just to do with shearing, really. Um, years ago, you wanted to come up here to the Diamond Shears and see how you'd go in that comp, because that was a really big comp back in the um, 90s and 2000s. And, um, yeah, so the only close sheds that I could get to to shear sheep up here, because they're not like the crossbreds or the merinos down home in the southeast of South Australia, and the closest you could get to was here at Quilpie, and the contractor gave me a go, and, yeah, just got the shear sheep around here and got to film my way here and yeah. Well you're not just a shearer, you're uh, allegedly shearer and a world champion shearer and uh, earlier this year inducted into the Shearing Hall of Fame so yes. um, congratulations for that. Um, Thank you. That must be, that's an amazing honour. Well it is, like yeah, it, it's surreal but it's brilliant just to have the acc- accolade I suppose or the pinnacle of the ending of your shearing career. Like you've done so much and you've fought for something that you loved, you worked for something that you loved, and to spread it around that there are opportunities for every age group in the shearing industry. And now, yeah, I'm inducted into the Shearers Hall of Fame, so the boys must have thought I'd done a pretty good job somewhere along the line, eh? <laughs> what, is it, what does it mean to you, um, personally, to have that recognition? Just my hard work that I love the game, I love shearing, that's I couldn't give two hoots what anybody else said. I was there to do the job and do my job well. If it pissed them off, fair enough, I don't care. But I improved myself and it got me to where making competitions, I was either coming first, second, third, I was making the final. So, yeah, I was improving. And for me, that was self-satisfaction. And even if I could just help some of the learners along the way, because back in those days, being a learner was hard to get a shed or get a start too. So you had to try and, if you could, involve them in some of my sheds I had down home. But it was just the pinnacle of just doing the better that you can there and then on the day. And you got good mates out of it. And as I've said before, I look at them as all my brothers. Because, yeah, it was a big close family. So you first picked up a handpiece near home in the southeast of South Australia in 1982, is that right? Correct, yep. How did that yep. come about? That must have been a big big move from the table, well, I assume, to, uh, or the broom, to uh, to actually having a go. Yeah, well, it was back in the narrow gear days, and, um, yeah, neighbouring um, owners needed a rouse about, so, yep, I'd go and help them out because I'd, I'd have a go at anything. And um, so that was all right. And then the union rep came in and we are chatting away and, said, oh, I bet you can't shear at the next sheep. I said, bet I can. <laughs> <laughs> Guess what happened? Yep, sure a sheep, and that was fine. Like, basically, that I had an idea how to get the wool off, but the shearer gave me a little bit of an idea how to place the blows, but 
I got the sheep, the wool off the sheep basically all by myself. And um, yeah, come the end of that rouseabouting at the shed, I thought, well, give this year and go, see how I go. And ask mum and dad for a handpiece from a Christmas present, and I got it, and I've still got it. And yeah, then um, at some local sheds around Millicent would give me a go, and just like one standards or two standards, just to see if I'd like last the week or see how it would on the body. And yeah, I did. And um, so you're saying you didn't have any formal training? No, no, I haven't had any formal training whatsoever. The only formal training would be my studying and watching them at shearing comps because I used to travel with my mates to comps and watch them. Um, then if not, you'd watch them in the sheds from rouseabouting. And then when I got through, like, because with my friends I'd travel to competitions and I'd compete in the learner competitions, and from them and competing in those comps, they'd advise you, like, what blows or this might be easier for you but you'd have to practice this in the shed to see what style would suit you. And over the years, yeah, I got to a style where it suited me quite fine. So it must have been some pretty hard days, those early days. Um, oh, yes. Particularly, the, I mean, you, you and then walked into the whole wide combs dispute. I mean, that must well, have been Well, yeah, that was, that was a bit time. of a pinnacle thing too. But, yeah, it was just one of those things that you, you had to weather it because, like, as I said, I was learning so you had to listen to that side and you had to listen to this side and, yeah, you got through part of it to work out what's going to be the best because in the long run, really, you knew it was going to change. There had to be change at some point and it did and um, it got accepted because I went to Western Australia and worked over there for a contractor so I could get the continuity of work to be a shearer. So when I did get back to South Australia... I was a shearer shearing over, a competent shearer shearing over 100 a day. If not, I got my first 200 very close there too. But to the point that, yeah, it was change and it was coming and it was just one of those things we had to live through. So did you stay on narrow gear until, when, when did you swap over and why? Well, I, um, 84, well, the people who taught me, about shearing, I had to shear my first hundred before I could go into wide gear, which was understandable because you like narrow gear, you've got to keep that bottom tooth down, keep it on the skin, and you'll shear clean. And for me, I did that. So then I was quite competent, and they were competent that I knew what I was doing. So then I could just try and practice and keep my bottom tooth down and wrist down and keep on the skin and shear properly with a wide tooth. Um, and then I could go into wide gear. But even in some sheds, even when I was in WA, like some of the sheep were tough. I still use my narrow gear, but I still going around some of the shearers using the wide gear. It was just what you were quite competent in handling. So yeah, amazing. And what was it like in those um, early years? This is well before um, women were really truly accepted in things. Yes. So I mean, ducks on the pond, all that mm. sort of very male culture, really tough male culture. Oh, exactly. I mean, you, you always yeah. had them with their smart comments and their little egos and whatever else, and I used to tell them where to go and whatever else, like I usually did, because I was very short and sharp to the point. Um, as I'm just there for one job, that was to impress the person who was paying me. That was all I had to do. And all those other ones had other things, more important things to worry about. I couldn't give two hoots what they said. That was their problem. If I was shearing my 150 and they were doing 140, you improve because I'm doing my job. And if that pissed them off, good luck. See you later, mate. I'm moving on. So, yeah, yeah. Well, no, I just walked over them. 
That's interesting. I mean, that uh, show, it shows a, a level of mental toughness, but uh, it mustn't have been easy because, as you say, these are very strongly masculine areas. Very. There's a lot of egos. Oh, you got that sheds, right. So, there, uh, there was even some that, if they knew I was a shed, they wouldn't even pull up or get their gear out. But in the long run, who's losing? They are. That, it's not my problem. That's their problem. I'm going to be there. They thought I might only last a couple of years. I lasted 20-odd years. I was getting in competitions. I had to be. I was a fixture. I was there. I wasn't going to be a little pushover to walk away somewhere. And I was there. And I was always improving and getting better. There was comps there in the last, when I retired, like Penzhurst, come second a couple of times. Missed out by point, point to point. Like, you're a bridesmaid and you're, and you're second to eat, like, sometimes a point. But that's the way the cookie crumbles. You learn for next time. And you just keep going. But they, they had to be starting to know that, yeah, I was a fierce competitor, but a friend as well and a mate. And if anything went wrong, we'd be there to help each other. We'd have each other's back because that's what Shearers did. So it's probably a label that you find awkward, uh, but, you know, you were really a trailblazer for women in yeah. sheds, particularly on handpieces, um, and hopefully it's a lot easier for women now to, to mm. join shearing teams. Do you think it is? Oh, hell yeah, yeah, it's a lot easier now and there's a lot more out there, which is really good because, yeah, you have fun, you travel, you meet people yeah, and you're good at your game, you get paid well. So why not? And it's hard yards and the best part is it's honest work. But, yeah, you've got to put in your effort too. Like You only get paid what you share. But also for me too, back, back in those days, like with each state, competitions were fierce and we all each had our own shearing committee that like represented the shearers of this state so you had like um a shearing committee in SA and Victoria and WA and then all them got together and all the members had an annual general meeting which formed your rules and regulations of the whole kit and caboodle well they nominated me to be one of their reps like what sort of privilege is that when you got the guys the shearers from all parts of Australia, nominating you to go on it. So they must have some respect there. There's so many highlights of, of your career. Um, yeah, where do I start? <laughs> it's very, it is hard to know where to start, but I mean, shearing in Ireland and, and, and winning um, that invitational in 1998, and in 1998, shearing for the Queen or in front of the Queen. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, well, that was back in the bicentennial year, and... Um, yeah, another shearing mate of mine, Graham Trotter, rang up. He said that we've got to get two machined and two blade and we've got to shear in front of the Queen and Prince Philip. Well, a good one. And um, lo and behold, here I am, five months pregnant. I think, yep, I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> My son was born in the 7th of the 8th of 88 in August, so, yeah. Um, but no, because, yeah, they had to be clean. They didn't want them cut or anything like that. And it was like the old of the blade shear the male shearing and me shearing. It was just a mixture, and that's what we did. And, yeah, sure in front of the Queen and Prince Philip, and, yeah, then gave her a lock of wool, and she took it from me. <laughs> so that was in front of the, the what is now the National Wool Museum. Correct, yep, that's and what she opened. Did you, have a, did you have a chat to the Queen then? We I mean, had a, a few little words. the baker of you handing the lock over. <laughs> yeah. So what, yeah, yeah well, no, we just, it. well, it was just a short, simple chat of, like, would you like some more and the sheep's moving? It was just, yeah, all these things, because... At that point, there was a fella there with a sheepdog and he, the sheepdog was meant to go down and bring four or five sheep forward 
Well, the poor puppy dog, he got lost in the crowd. Oh, She's no. laughing. We're all <laughs> laughing. And poor old mate. And the sheep are just, yeah, wondering. But the dog's got through all. Oh. <laughs> but there was a funny sight. And it was just one of those things that, yeah, you just took it as it was because that's what happens when you work with dogs and animals. Very funny. Well, you'll be pleased to know when we, we had um, who, what was Prince Charles, now King Charles, yeah. um, launching the campaign for wool in Tasmania. We went to a farm there and there were some shearers there and he, yeah. we, invite, we invited him to yep. throw the fleece. Yep, yep, yep. And he turned to the rouseabout who was setting mm-hmm. it up for him and said, is there any shit on this? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's just it. He's just down to earth, isn't it? Oh, that's what, yeah. They're just down to earth people. You can tell that from the countryside that they live in and they love to go and spend time with. Yeah. Right. So it's a generally an easy conversation. And what about uh, in Ireland in 1998? Tell yeah, no, that was, that was good. Went over there with my two oldest kids and um, worked over there to see if I could, yep, yeah, see how I'd go over there, competing against other women and shearing all those sheep and different styles, different breeds of sheep. Also learning that there's a lot of different shearing styles from each country. It was just an eye-opener, but, yeah, it was good. And, yeah, got up there and done my thing and won. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, it's a great something great to travel with. Uh, speaking of um, the Queensland sheep industry now, I mean, just travelling around, there's very few sheep in Queensland now to 20 years ago. Mm, um, dingoes true. have been, or wild dogs have been part of that. Um, the, the lack of shearers, I suppose, has been part of that. The introduction of goats and the expansion of goats. What's your take on how the Queensland wool industry can bounce back? Well, it's going to be hard and it's going to be a long haul because I remember when I first came up here and took Quilpie, there was five shearing contractors in town. So, and basically you could have a second team running through winter, but now you haven't even got one. Like the drought, um, property selling, um, cattle people coming in, if not, you've had property sell for this carbon emissions, and so there's really nothing out there. Um, you've got the cluster fences, like the keep the dingoes and the wild dogs at bay. Those ones, the numbers are coming back up, but it's just going to be a very long, slow process. It will never be like it was. This is the change that's happening. Um, the ones that still deal with sheep, well, at least you still get your dollar for your wool. You get a dollar for the land. You get something... With cattle, yeah, it's just one of those things. They can be bred way out there, but when you've got this sort of country around here, it's going to be hard, even like Longreach. You still need that weather patterns to have the feed. It's just going to be a very slow process for sheep numbers to ever get back. And I don't think they ever will, actually. It'll be just those ones that have dealt with sheep all their life, love the wool and deal with that. They'll be able to concentrate on their um, livelihood. So do you miss shearing? Oh, hell yeah, of course you miss it, because I loved it. But then again, I've only just done 40, I think, in the last few days. I had two pets to do, another pet, and actually a lass that, yeah, she had 30 that needed chewing. I said, well, we're taking this over a couple of days because I'm not going to bucket myself <laughs> up because I'm the baker, so I still had to bake, didn't I? So, yeah, we just took our time, so it was good. And how is the body holding up these days? Yeah, good, good, yeah. No, no problems, Um, yeah. I go to the doctor every 12 months for a health checkup, and it seems to be quite good. No bad things at the moment. So, yeah, keeping fit and, no, all good. Just oh. getting older. <laughs> <laughs> and the, um, so going from being a shearer to a baker, what was that like? Yeah, different. But, you know, at some point in your life, you, you, there has to be a change. Like, your body can only do so much. And I knew at that point, and with 
shearing. I did wish to retire around the 40 mark, but also to the point I had to look at something else because I didn't want to start travelling with the kids. They were away at boarding school. You still need to pay stuff, but, yeah. So I thought, well, I'm young enough and silly enough to learn something new, so I did. bought the bakery, and this is what we did. Like, yeah, been here ever since, and either make or break and go with the flow. So COVID wouldn't have been too easy for that because uh, tourists oh, may have stopped, or was it the opposite? Yeah, well, basically, yeah, it, it did stop, like, the southern tourists. Like, you still had a lot of Queenslanders doing the loop-de-loop, like, looking out and learning about what the rest of Queensland's about, which is good because some of those coastal people do need to get out and see a bit more of the reality. Um, but to the point, for me, I looked at it as semi-retirement because, like, you still work... You just had to change the times of your shop. And, um, yeah, otherwise you could get things done at home and whatever. And, yeah, you just had to work with it, really. So you made, you've made it through. We've made it through. Like, you still had your main workers and all that that you still got to feed with bread and whatever. But, yeah, you just poke along and, yeah, just take it easy, knuckle down and just tighten your belt. So um, if you're travelling through Quilpie, the off-shears bakery, I mean, anyone to do with sheep has to call into the off-shears bakery. I thought, hang on, this seems a bit odd. So I'm so glad I did. Um, fantastic produce, wonderful pies. Cathy, uh, the bakery's also for sale. So do you want to put a plug yeah, in? Yeah, well, it is, actually. I've got to start being a bit more flexible for the family now. Mum passed away, so, yeah, and the kids and the grandkids and all their responsibilities of what they need to do now for their lives, I've got to start supporting them. So they've done it all for me for my life and they've learned a lot, so it's just my turn to help them out now. Right, so if, yep. you, if you've ever wanted to own a bakery, um, here's your chance. <laughs> one, right. fam one famous previous owner. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, all right, well, Cathy, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to meet you. No worries. Uh, um, thank you for your... Wonderful service to the wool industry, and um, uh, it's it's great to see that you're still addicted to it because you call. Oh, here we are at the back of your place. And there's a couple of bags of wool near us. Exactly. So still, still shearing. Once a shearer, always a shearer. Eh? Exactly. <laughs> you got the handpiece and everything else in the grinder set up. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, are great. Thanks. No again. worries. Thanks for having a yarn with us. Yep. No problem. The wonderful Kathy Wendelborn, Shearing Hall of Famer and World Champion. And there are plenty of upcoming schools in Queensland for both novice and improver shearers, as well as wool handling at Barkalden in late March and early April, and in Tambo, a novice shearing school and wool handling school in late March. So, in fact, anyone keen to either hold a shearing school at their shed or find one could call 1800 Shears and get involved. Follow Wool Innovation on Facebook and Twitter and keep an eye on wool.com for upcoming events and news. So, very much a celebration of those great people that harvest our great product in this episode of The Yarn. But from me, Marius Cumming, thanks for your company.